Today is June 1st, which means one thing in the NBA. It is time for the NBA Finals. Today we will discuss Heat Nuggets, the NBA Finals matchup everybody expected, of course not, but also Monty Williams getting a record-breaking contract as a Detroit Piston this year in Michigan. But then we have to discuss Nick Nurse and the Philadelphia 76ers finally get over that hump with a championship coach in the mix. And then last but not least for today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about Jalen Brown, where he ranks in the NBA. I had a hot take on our last reaction, Justin, that I know you're not going to appreciate as a Boston believer, but it's the truth. So I'm excited to have you guys in today. The month is the best time. This is the best month of the year. Hot take, but June is always to me. Maybe because I'm a June guy, I'm a Gemini, I think. I don't do the whole, I don't do the whole, uh, you know, whatever it's called. Zodiac, astrology, yeah, astrology and stuff like that. That's all right. No, no idea it's a good month. You know, it's not, not super hot, but it's not cold. It's like right in the middle. So I like that. I like that. It's hot, but you know, it's the perfect time because basketball is rounding me up. We got the NBA finals, great matchup. And then baseball too is kicking off the dog days of the summer coming up. So I look forward to this. Looking good. John, when's your birthday? June 6th. It's actually, get this, I was born the same exact day the NBA was founded. <laughs> this guy. Well, I, I was born the same day as Jackie Chan. Me and we, we share the same birthday. Jackie I share a birthday with DeAndre Hopkins. Is this like a birthday comp- competition? I forget who I share a birthday with. Um, Who's that? The inventor of the basketball, Stephen A. Smith, right? Naismith? Stephen Naismith. Yeah, Naismith. James Naismith. James Naismith. They make that joke all the time with Stephen A. So that, that's where it got lost in my head. <laughs> so, right. so what are we starting with? What are we starting with? We're NBA starting today with our NBA Finals uh, mashup slash preview. So Justin, Brennan and I come from different vantage points. I'm of the belief that when you have more rest in the NBA Finals, it's going to pay off. But there seems to be a double-edged sword here where – could the Denver Nuggets potentially be a little bit too rusty in games one and two? And more so, do you think the Miami Heat have a better chance in the series to win than people are giving them uh, credit for? You know, uh, rust is a real thing. So I get what you mean. It's a double-edged sword where the rest can be more beneficial or you can come out slow. But I don't know. I, I think this Nuggets team shows you time and time again, especially in this postseason, that there isn't much that can phase them. So a team led by Joe Kitchen and Mike Malone has showed me uh, nothing but guaranteed confidence. I, I have confidence in this team that they'll start off strong, that the rest will prove, prove to stick out. I won't make any predictions just yet until we're ready, but I want to point out one thing to Brandon. I wanted the satisfaction of Miami losing Game 7 so bad because I vividly remember Game 1, Knicks-Miami, Knicks lose. He goes on Twitter and calls it an all-time choke job, us losing that Game 1. And I thought that was so much of a stretch. And I wanted to retaliate so bad and say, oh, you want to talk about an all-time choke job? And you guys almost, almost were on the wrong side of history. And still, you shouldn't have had them come back 3-0. I think uh, Boston is just missing one more piece that could have put them over that top. And that piece would have been uh, a better version of Jalen Brown, possibly. But... That's neither here nor there. On to the NBA Finals, where I believe the Denver Nuggets are easily the favorite, rightfully so. Yeah, listen, I wanted to take your shot at me. Actually, John, I think my Twitter handle is wrong. I don't have an underscore in my name. But um, uh, Justin, to to come I'll back at you, you that you were gonna that you were gonna you know 
attack me and be like, oh, the all-time choke job. Listen, I told John last time when we recorded right after game seven, I said, I don't know what I would have done um, if Miami lost that game because I don't know how I would have handled it. I probably would have thrown a temper tantrum. It was it was such a weight lifted off my soul, uh, shoulders because when if you if if we lost that game right forever, Heat fans would have been that would have been held over their head. Like think about Atlanta Falcons fans; they can't say nothing because you can always bring up twenty three. Okay, think about. Uh, um, uh, I'm trying to think of other teams that have blown incredible leads like that. It's harder for like you know the Reds, uh, the Yankees because they're they've got the 28 championship. So if you say, "Oh, you blew the 3-0 lead to the Red Sox," 28 rings. They're like count count the rings, buddy. Um, it's hard to say about the Patriots. You know, like 18 and 0, they blew the game. We got rings. You know, we got a lot of rings. But the Falcons, Miami's got three rings. But they would have always held that 3-0 over our head. And I'm just – I'm so thankful and happy that our team showed up and showed out. And we won that game convincingly, I might add, convincingly. Uh, but on to the NBA Finals. It's it's a matchup me and John talked about a little bit. But I – and I made my prediction uh, uh, on Monday and Tuesday when we talked. I said, he in six. And I'm going to tell you how how this this happens, right? How this happens. Mission one is steal a game in Denver, either game one or two. That's all you got to do. I believe we win games three and four in Miami, lose five in Denver, finish it out in six. And the only way I can really – Tell you why I believe this is going to happen. Because obviously I can't really, it's hard to make the argument that the Miami Heat are the more talented team, the more um, well-built team. They have the best player on the team. All this stuff, right? The injury concerns, Tyler Hero coming back, we'll talk about it in a little bit. Is it going to help or hurt? All I can say is, and I've been saying this, you know, I think since we beat the Knicks. Um, yeah, since we beat the Knicks, it's it's something you can't see until – some people can't see this until it happens, right? They need to see it to believe it. Believing is seeing, seeing is believing. It's, it's you know, one word really. It's destiny. It's fate. It's that Cinderella story that comes around every so often in sports. You know, we talk about – I hate to bring it up, but the New York Giants of 2007, right? Um there's been so many countless teams the 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 0304 um uh Detroit Pistons right these Cinderella stories that you know hopeless underdogs that come out and win the championship at the end and that's what i believe in right now i believe hell could denver win is it denver's time as well it sure as hell could be i just truly believe there is going to be history made but it's going to be on the Miami Heat side of history, being the first ever eight seed, full season, I might add, eight seed, losing your first playing game at home, being down, what was it, 10 points or something like that with three minutes left against Chicago, almost getting bounced from the playoffs completely, beating the number one seed Bucks in five, 
Beating the New York Knicks in six could have been a sweep if Jimmy didn't get hurt. Every New York Knicks fan knows that. Every NBA fan knows that. Beating a, a, a Celtics fan in seven in Boston, rewriting a wrong from last year. If you doubt us, just remember that what I just told you, our resume. Yeah, there's a little bit of pettiness that goes into this too for Miami, where Max Struess three years ago gets cut by the Celtics so they can clear a roster spot for Taco Full. And then when they beat them in game seven, you have Duncan Robinson. I forget what the, the, the gesture was, but he's mocking the crowd because they uh, say, I can't hear you. Over. I can't hear you anymore. They were there feels there feels like there's the aura in Miami is a little bit different than last year because I think they got better by losing Tyler Hero and PJ Tucker, where Tucker left them exposed offensively, and where Tyler Hero added another defender offenses on the other end can attack. They're way more solid defensively. And then on offense, everybody on this team is a threat to score. Even, well, outside of Cody Zeller, of course, but even the likes of Haywood Highsmith would come in and knock down a pair of threes. And I feel like for Miami this year, this was Eric Spolster's team, his vision. Now, is one thing that the, the media Miami talked about thoroughly coming into this year. This was the group of guys that he wanted. And I think watching this matchup, they're, the, they're two of the best teams, but they also have the best chemistry of any team left and some of the most continuity because this is largely the same team that went to the NBA Finals in the bubble, minus Gorn, just plugged in Kyle Lowry, Caleb, and Gabe Vincent. And so it's no surprise now we look at the NBA playoffs and it feels like the bubble was oddly a new NBA season, kind of like we had a three-and-a-half-month-long hiatus and we saw the development of key players like Tyler Hero and Jamal Murray. And that was kind of the prelude to what we're now witnessing. So that's a fun little insight that I don't think enough of us, a perspective that I don't think enough people like have with this series, that this was kind of destiny that these two teams would match up at some point in the finals, given how overlooked they were yet, how consistent they've been against the high ends of the playoffs when they are healthy. The Nuggets that is have went from the second round to the conference finals, and now they're in the NBA finals. But I do. I know what you did in there, Bren. Okay. I noticed what you did. You've got the Heat winning six, and you're like, you know what? I think they're going to win both games in Miami. I noticed that. I like that. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, Denver has struggled on the road um, all season long. And I just believe, I think, while Miami has not been known usually for their crowds, you know, a lot of times the crowd doesn't show up until the second half. Um, but if you notice in the Eastern conference finals, our crowds were packed like from start to finish. And that's because they have something to cheer for. And they're like, all right, it has to, we have to be there early. Right. Fair weather fans, but that's the way Miami people are. I, I don't really like it, but what, what are you going to do about it? I just believe our, our, our home court advantage is also going to be a plus for us. Um, home court means a lot in the NBA and sports in general, in my opinion, uh, it's something that can't be overlooked. So, yeah, and, and I do want to say one thing, though. I am kind of tired of, while it is correct, and they can be right in there whining and complaining, uh, mostly Michael Malone, about Denver not getting the coverage, the love, and the respect that they, they feel like they have earned and they deserve. While that can be correct, and I would agree with you, I'm kind of sick and tired of hearing about it. Okay. Cause what do the Miami heat players and Eric Spolster say when we don't get the coverage? 
What do they say? They say, we don't give a shit. We don't care that you're not picking us, that you're on our side. We don't care. That's what I like to hear. That's a difference in culture that I have noticed. I just would like to stop com- the complaining. And I can say the same thing about the Celtics in a different way. Celtics players in general, every single time up the court, stop freaking whining and complaining to the uh, refs. It's annoying and it leaves you exposed on defense and messes up your your team, the flow, and everything. Stop. Not everything's a foul. Not everything's a foul. Bro, you like, what do you what do you expect? The team is uh looking for everything, everything. To possibly win but, but it's just so annoying play. because it's like here's a question. Has a referee really ever like have you ever seen a, a, a guy go and complain to a referee and actually get the call switched? No. So then why do they do it? Like it's just a waste of time. That's just a little a little thing that grinds my gear. But um yeah, I want to hear your guys' prediction. I mean, John hasn't given his photo prediction for the NBA Finals. I want to hear both of your guys' opinion. Like, what, what's, what's, you know, I've given mine. All right, so I'll be honest with you. As unprecedented a run that the Miami Heat have been on, and, you know, I feel so bad even making a prediction because I feel like every time I make a prediction, I just curse the team that I pick. So I'm sorry, Denver Nuggets. But I'm actually taking the Denver Nuggets in five. I'm taking the Denver Nuggets in five because I truly believe – that they are the most dominant team currently in the NBA. And I flip-flopped on that statement for a while because I did have the Suns ultimately getting by them. But what I saw them do in that Sun series, saw them do in the next round to LeBron and the Lakers, I, I really don't believe that Miami is going to be able to keep up with the playmaking and skill set all five starters have on the Denver Nuggets and their bench. They're so deep of a team. And while, yes, everybody on Miami can score besides Cody Zeller, there I've always said that eventually that three-point mirage, you live by the three, you die by the three. And I think eventually that's going to catch up to Miami. And mm. we saw that in a couple of games that they lost against Boston when Boston started to claw back into the series. When Miami is not shooting, when they're not shooting well, see, they, they leave themselves susceptible to the – other teams scoring easy in transition and ball game over. Next thing you know, you find yourself down 10. And I, and I really believe that Denver is going to run away with this series. I have enough respect for Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolcher that I'm going to give them one game in Miami, but I really can't see anybody taking out the Joker right now. I think he's playing on another level of basketball. Um, we we've all called him an MVP. He was rightfully he could have he could have won this year too, but it was just Joel Embiid's time up. But this guy could win MVP year in and year out. He's showing himself to be one of the best playoff performers that we've ever seen. John went on here calling him a top five offensive player of all time, like Larry Bird. And <laughs> so I I really just have complete faith in this Denver Nuggets team to get it done. Miami, it was a nice ride. Nobody expected you to be here. I think that's an accomplishment in itself, just even getting here. So I think uh, you got to take your little W there, and I think it's the Joker's time to win a ring. I couldn't help but cringe there as I heard Justin say, you know, Miami, I don't think they have it. Not because Justin said it, but because everybody has said it so far this postseason. They said the Knicks would beat them. Were the Knicks favored against the Heat? Like, I was not looking at the betting odds. They were. At home. 
And at home, the Knicks were favored. On the road, we were not favored. This Okay. The Celtics had a 97% chance to win the conference finals, according to ESPN Analytics, which right. I thought was slightly off. But I'm pretty sure the Celtics were favored in every game except for maybe two of the games. That I makes sense. Like, yeah. they, they should have eventually got one. They got three. The Miami Heat are going to have a lot to throw at the Nuggets on offense. The only issue is... And the reason I'm picking the Nuggets to win this series, I don't know how you stop Nikola Jokic. When they played on February 13th, Aaron Gordon did not play, nor did Jamal Murray. So the most recent time they played when they're really close to healthy was in December before 2023. And I, I think for Miami, you can't run a zone because Jokic can attack. He can shoot it from mid-range, 60%, and he can play make. And he's playing three-dimensional chess. So they're going to have to probably put Kevin Love on him or they're going to have to have Bam front him in the post. And then if you can lob it over Bam, now he's just barreling down to the rim with Kayla Martin and Jimmy Butler like poorly trying to rotate over and they're not going to stop him in a scrim situation, right? So I'm expecting the Nuggets who just dismantled Anthony Davis at the on the glass especially. He's one of the best rebounders in the league. They continue scoring at like 120 offensive rating, elite levels. It really just comes down to how well does Duncan Robinson, Jimmy Butler, and Caleb Martin play in the series? Because Bam, look, when they play in the regular season, he made some mid-range shots. I don't think Bam post-ups are going to work effectively. But Bam DHOs, Bam pick and roll, Bam slips, that will. And in order for that to thrive, Duncan, Caleb, Gabe, all those role players that have really lived up to the task this postseason, and in Martin's case, the entire season, are going to have to continue playing as well as they did in the conference finals. And I think for as much as the narrative is, this Nuggets team is average to a below-average defense. They're actually connected at the right time. And uh, I think especially with Aaron Gordon, who's defended at an elite level for the throughout the last two years, you're going to see this team is good enough defensively to win a championship. So what's your... Uh, yeah, yeah. that's the whole point of me going on a, a rant right there. Uh, Nuggets and six. Nuggets and six. Oh, so they beat Miami and okay. And by the way, if you're wondering about my credibility, I had the Celtics and six last year, and the year before, I had the Suns and six. So the credibility is pretty good. Okay, so you're you're saying you're like Stephen A. Smith, who's gotten the finals predictions all wrong. <laughs> all right. Um, listen, just to say a couple of things, and then I guess I want to pose a, a question at the end. Um, so. You know, obviously they're going to be favored. They're the more talented teams, like I said. But this entire playoffs, we have made good teams play bad. We have exposed weaknesses um, in terms of the Bucks, the Knicks, Celtics. And like I said, I think if there is a weakness to be exposed, I don't know it. I'm not that much of a genius. Um, Eric Spolster is. Jimmy Butler is. Pat Riley is. Don't think Pat Riley and Eric Spolster aren't having meetings leading up to the games because they 1,000% are. Um, they'll find the weakness. Uh, you speak about the zone. Obviously, I don't think they're going to be in the zone the entire game. They've, I don't think they've done that the entire they've, – they've mixed and matched. They throw it in in certain points in time. And it's not even a true zone, to be honest with you, hearing uh, the, the NBA experts talk about it. It's more of just like a, a mix and match. Like it – I can't explain it very well. It's just an insane mix and match of it's not really a 2-3, but it's – is sort of one two two but they're dropping i don't even it's, it's a combo it's like a hybrid it's like a hybrid zone type thing but they also match up too well. as well 
it's observers it's, don't know that if you're wondering why the heat are the only team that can run a zone effectively observing the game of basketball you do not know what type of zone they're in so if you're yeah. in the game it gets pretty confusing to then attack exactly um and like john has pointed out uh we didn't beat the the nuggets but he didn't we, we haven't beat the nuggets since 2016 last uh, yeah the the miami heat have not beaten the nuggets since jamal murray and nikola Jokic have come off the bench in 2016 that was when Yusuf Nurkic was their starting center. Yes, it was. And I believe uh, Barack Obama was still the president of the United States. <laughs> so two terms, uh, two, 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 two uh, presidents we've gone through since that. But I say all that to say, like I said, I can't, it's hard for me to sit here and make a good, uh, you know, rah-rah speech of how we're going to do it and whatever. All I can really say is this. The Nuggets didn't blow out the Lakers in any other games. The, the biggest game they blew out was like 10 points, 11 points, but all of them were down to the wire. And we know Miami has been very successful in down-to-the-wire games, I think the best, if if I'm not mistaken. And also, being down 10, we have the best record in the NBA uh, amongst uh, any other teams. But I'll, I'll say this to finish off. I'll repeat a quote from Eric Spolstra after game six against the Celtics. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to go up there and we're going to get it done. Uh, that, that, that's all I really got to say. That's it. That sums it up. I love, I love the confidence. So I want to pose this question, right? And then we'll finish off the finals thing. Will Tyler Hero coming back apparently in game three, will it help or hurt the Miami Heat? Uh, I'll start and, and say I think it hurts. Because I think the run that Miami has been on since he went down in that series against Milwaukee has been absolutely ridiculous. Like John said, they're playing with a chemistry that you don't want to mess up. You don't want to, you know, throw somebody else in the rotation when what you got is working for you. You know, there's a saying that we all know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. This is what got you here, and I think you stick with it. Going back into the regular season – Everybody, even you, Brandon, were, were iffy on what to expect out of Miami going into the postseason. And that was with Tyler Hero in the rotation. And now, at this point, this is the most confidence that you've had in your Miami Heat all year long after they got through Milwaukee. So, And that's without Tyler Hero. I think you don't force him to come back unless you, you find yourself down in a 3-0 hole and you absolutely need to, to just you know put your hand deep in the bag and, and, and pull the no, new trick out then fine. But at the moment, I think you just go with what got you there. And you stick with the Caleb Martins, the Gabe Vincents, the Max Struess, Duncan Robinson, playing those valuable minutes. Because you know what? As much as people laughed at and myself laughing at Duncan Robinson playing those valuable minutes, all those guys are stepping up. So, uh, yeah, I I think uh, you got to stay with what you got. To build off that point, the Heat were beating the Bucs in the first half before Tyler broke his hand, screaming for a loose ball. But this postseason, there's a stat out there about this Miami Heat new starting five or the one they closed the Celtics series with. Well, when Duncan Robinson's in the lineup with Kyle Lowry, because those two guys aren't starters really, but they close regularly. The Heat lineup of Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, Caleb, Bam, and Jimmy is a plus 35 this postseason, which is utterly ridiculous. But I think the reason for that is because Duncan is the only guy you can really attack defensively, but he has played so well as a playmaker and to brand's credit, 
when we were laughing and clowning this Miami team for giving him $90 million, it was because we're like, he's expendable. But what he's done this postseason has largely replaced the void left from Tyler. And at the same time, it's left you less exposed defensively because there's only one guy you can attack. So I think they are better without Tyler Hero, but he's also their third best player. And bringing him back into the lineup is going to add more firepower. And the best way to beat Denver is by having more guns, more I shouldn't say that. The best way to beat the Nuggets is by having more firepower. So, so it won't hurt necessarily. But I don't know if you want to alter your team chemistry by reinserting him back into the starting lineup, which I highly doubt they will. I, I, I get what you mean when you're saying, you know, add more firepower. You need that explosiveness. That's fine. But also at the same time, you don't know what version of him you're going to get. He's still coming off of an injury. So you can't expect him to be at the level he was prior to that, you know, right Fair away. Point. So I, I don't know if that's worth it. Yeah, I mean, I've gone back and forth because it, it is his broken right hand, which is a shooting hand, and you got to think: is there going to be a, a you know times in the game where he's having trouble keeping a hold of the ball while he's dribbling, do, uh, using his handles, trying to play make or score for himself? Is he going to cough it up like Jalen Brown was? Uh, is it is it is his going is his shot not going to feel right and he's going to be clanking shots like um, Malcolm Brogdon who couldn't hit you know, water if he fell out of a boat because his forearm was injured. Uh, the right hand is probably even worse than the forearm because it's literally the thing that's touching the ball and guiding it through. Um, I don't know. Uh, he's a 90% free throw shooter, I think, this year. Is he going to be that? Is that free throw shot going to feel good? I And we know he's not – while he's, he's made good strides to become a better defender, he's still a below-average defender at the end of the day. Um I, I don't know. Definitely don't in, insert him in the starting lineup, and I don't think we will. I think he'll be coming off the bench, but it's going to be interesting how the matchups work because I do not want him taking away from Duncan Robinson because Duncan Robinson is healthy, and he adds so much more than just sharp shooting. If you, if you know this Miami Heat team, you watch this kid, he adds so much more than just sharp shooting. He's so much more than that. The sharp shooting opens up the game for him and opens up the game for his team and opens up the court. But he's not. He's he's been able to improve on his other skill set. So yeah, I I have no idea if it'll help or hurt. I really have to see him in action and see if that hand is you know comfortable. If he's comfortable taking shots and whatnot. But yeah. Um, but talking uh, you know some new hires. We'll start Monty off. Uh, we'll start off in Detroit. Monty Williams getting uh, well, what's he getting? A six year, seventy eight million dollars. That could be up to nine figures depending on incentives. Now, this Detroit Pistons team has the fifth overall pick in this year's draft with Katie Cunningham coming off injury last year. Harley played, was also not at 100% when he was in year two. But I feel like for the Detroit Pistons, one of the biggest things we see nowadays with young teams is you may accumulate a ton of young talent, but you need a coach that can actually maximize it. And when you look at what Monty Williams did with the Phoenix Suns, he comes in for a franchise that, well, they were the worst team in the NBA in multiple years leading up to his hire in 2019. They won 23 games in 2016, 24 in 2017, 21 in 2018, 19 in 2019. He comes in in 2020, 2019-20. They won 34 games with the addition of Ricky Rubio. Go to the NBA bubble. And as we talked about at the beginning of the show where the NBA bubble kind of felt like a new season, they went 8-0 against high-level competition. Then that offseason, month month or two later, they add in Chris Paul. They go from what was a 19-win team in 2019 to a 51-win team 
and 2021, the second best record in the NBA, completely changing the narrative, the culture, and the outlook of the team moving forward. Their second year with the group, with Monty Williams and Chris Paul, they win 64 games. They go to the second round of the playoffs, and a couple different things happened. One, there are reports that some players in the team contracted C-19, and ultimately, his players didn't come to play in a second round playoff game, game six, in game seven, and they got obliterated by Luca and the boys. I don't know how people can look at that series and blame it on Monty Williams when, hey, look, Devin Booker and Chris Paul just played really poorly in the first half of a game where Luca was better than them. And then this upcoming year, 2023, Devin Booker suffers multiple hamstring injuries, multiple groin over the last year, and he misses over 25 games. Then in February, they make the biggest trade deadline move in a long time, acquiring Kevin Durant, sacrificing key pillars to the rotation. And now Monty Williams, in the regular season, due to Kevin Durant coming off two injuries, both AMCL and an ankle, only got, yeah, I don't know, eight regular season games with Kevin Durant before they moved into the playoffs. They take care of the Clippers in five games. They move into the second round where people have them favored versus the Nuggets in spite of not having a rotation completely built, and they lose in six games. I don't understand how Monty Williams was the scapegoat when the team completely overhauled the roster, dealt with injuries, and were missing two starters in a game six where they did get blown out, yes, but they had like four rotation players total left over. It's tough. It's I don't let's talk about the the because the Suns move is is in the past and it's it, it is what it is. They're you know they're moving on. There's you know rumors that I guess maybe Monty is maybe too much of a nice guy. I we don't really know. But as far as the Pistons move, I will say this what I like about it, right? I do like so much that they've committed six years, right? Now obviously they could jump out of the commitment really at any possible time they want. But I like that it's at least out there. And Monty knows that there's leash to this, right? I hate when teams hire a, a new head coach and it's like three years or whatever. Four. Like, if you really believe in this guy as a new head coach, then you got to be willing to commit. And that's why I hate the, you know, the hot potato with coaches in all of sports. You see it in the NFL all the time. Guys get fired after one freaking year done. Steve Wilkes is a great example. It's like, you didn't even give the guy a shot. Like, Jeff Fisher got how many years with the St. Louis Rams? Couldn't win Jack Diddley squat. Like, it, it, come on, man. Like, or, yeah, or, or Marvin Lewis, I mean, he had at least he got in the playoffs, but it's just. This is what we saw D'Amico Ryans in the Texans this last year. Yeah, that, and, and I said the same thing about that. I love the length of the contract. So I like Monty. I think he's a good head coach. I don't think he's great. I think he's good. Actually, he, I think he's really good, very good. He's in that range. Um, but it's good that now he can set a culture. Uh, I don't know if Cade Cunningham is the guy. I haven't seen much of him. Uh, he got injured. That's not a great sign. Um, but – He's going to come back. He's young. What is he? Is he like 21? He's not even 21 yet, probably 21, 22. So he's got to grow into his, obviously, his NBA, his man body. Uh, we'll see how he is in, in three to four years when he's starting to really, you know, get things cooking probably. But 
Yeah, they still got a lot of work to do, Detroit. You know, they've got to fill the team around. That's why they're one of the bottom teams uh, in the East for a very in the NBA for a very long time. They still got some work to do. So, yeah, it's a thumbs up move, a step in the right direction, but still a lot to be seen and to be determined with these Detroit Pistons. You know, I, I, what I feel bad about is uh, I think Monty Williams has shown that he can play, he can he can coach winning basketball, that he can coach. Uh, he showed that he could take a team to the NBA Finals. And one, he gets let go probably. I'm with John on, on this one. I think Phoenix is just looking for a scapegoat and just decided to use Monty Williams for it. But for him to be left with a team like Detroit rather than one of the big fish out there that are, are looking for a head coach that can compete into next year, I, I just – I'm not too fond of that. I, I could see him – I saw him more going to a, comp- a contender than – a team that's probably two, three years away from making some noise. But now I mean, he's already in Detroit. So the one thing uh, I'll reiterate what John said, when you have young talent and you have all these picks, what good is it if you don't have somebody to develop them? What good is it if you don't have a coach to lead them? So in, in that case, Monty Williams is an A-plus hire. And it's just a matter of if the if the organization is going to invest in it now. It's not just – the young players that you got, are you going to be able to spend some money and bring in the necessary players to develop these guys as well? Because it takes more than just coaching. You know, there's uh, your, your player coaches. There's the vets that the proper vets that you got to bring into an organization because mm-hmm. they can go from a how many games did they win this past year? 19. A 19 win team to a, a, a 30 win team. That's a plus, you know, but it's year after year. But. Like you guys said, a six-year contract that shows that, okay, we're in this for the long haul. Obviously, a lot of things can change. And like Brandon said, you can find yourself one year in and then you're out. But I think, uh, yeah, I think he's the right guy for the job if, you, if you're actually going to invest in your youth. The Pistons actually won 17 games this last season, and they had the worst record in the NBA. And I think two points to hit on, Justin, uh, cap space and veterans. They have $40 million, the fifth most in the NBA this all season. But at the same time, one move that I did like from their front office was Brynn Boyan Bogdanovich, who this year very quietly had one of his best seasons. To talk about the young core briefly, I think Cade Cunningham is going to be an elite player. The one concern was that they had quite literally no floor spacing to open up the game for him. And then they're asking him as a rookie at 20 years old, which he did pretty well in to run an offense when he's kind of a wing guard hybrid. Be Luka Doncic when you're more similar to Jason Tatum in year one. And it was actually allowing him to get into the rookie of the year race. By the end of it, he had a great case. But I think the next level and the next level we saw this year was Jane Ivey coming in. He was also top five pick out of Purdue. Much like he as his rookie season went on, he got better and better and better. And so you have two young guards that are going to be one of the best backcourts in the league. Then have a kid in Jalen Duran out of Memphis who, at 18 years old, I think he's just turning 19 now. He's built like Dwight Howard with elite rim protecting and shot blocking upside. And that's supposed to be like your third or fourth best player in this team. So they're so young and there's, there's so much room to grow here. I actually think what did it for Monty was that they're paying him $13 million a year. This is one of the 10 biggest contracts in the history of North American American pro sports. Uh, this is life-changing money for a guy that, think of it, 20 years ago in the NBA, I mean, like the NBA salary cap was a third, a quarter of what it is now, right? So this is a huge contract. He's also got three years left on extension. The Suns gave him last year for $21 million. 
this guy's going to be making 20 million by two different franchises. But I think it's deserving because what Monty Williams did for Phoenix was shift an entire culture for a franchise that felt kind of hopeless. There are years there were Devin Booker where the only Suns coverage was Stephen A. Smith pleading that the team would trade him to the Knicks. And that was the only media coverage they would get. And within one year, they were in the finals. Some of that goes on them acquiring Chris Paul, but they had to build a system that was predicated on ball movement and that elevated Chris Paul in his age 36 and age 37 seasons to get back into the MVP discussion, even if he wasn't getting votes, right? So it felt like the Suns re-energized not only Paul, but they saw the growth and development of Mikel Bridges. Before he broke out in, in Brooklyn, with the Suns, Mikel was playing really well the last month of his tenure there. Cam Johnson tears his meniscus. Even still, he was having a career year. You look down the Suns roster, you saw a lot of player development, and the only gripe I ever had of Monty Williams was that in the playoffs, I disagree with his playoff rotations. I thought he should have been playing Damian Lee over Landry Shaman. But for the Pistons, you're in a much different timeline, right? If you're going to be complaining about Monty Williams' bench decisions and the conference finals, that's a, that's a pretty big, big-time step forward from what you've been the last six, ten years since the days of Ben Wallace back in the 2000s, right? So the Pistons are trying to build the foundation, but more descriptively, they're trying to build an offense around these two guards that's going to maximize their skill sets. With the Suns, it was mid-range shooting and ball movement. They had a, a philosophy, a split-second dribble pass or shoot. They weren't holding the ball. They weren't isocentric. And so everything was connected. I think with this Pistons team, you're going to see a lot of the right habits build from Williams establishing, you know, more accountability for these young guys. But at the same time, he's going to be focused on driving their player development to another level now that they're on their second coach. Yeah, step in the right direction. Uh, and other head coaching news, Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse is going to Philadelphia. Now, this is an interesting hire because if you've ever listened to Joel Embiid, He's played the Raptors twice in the playoffs. He's very often complained about double teams from Nick Nurse. Well, Nick Nurse has complained complained to the officials about Joel Embiid. So they now team up with Daryl Morey, who assigned Nick Nurse as the former Rockets G League coach years ago, or maybe it was Summer League. I don't know about you guys. I think Nick Nick Nurse has a case of being a top three coach in the league. I still don't think this is going to move the needle for the 76ers. A team that this year had the highest net rating in the NBA in clutch minutes, above the second and third best teams, the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat. It feels like the 76ers have a blueprint with Joel Embiid, who stylistically is completely different than the bigs Nick Nurse has had the last three, four years in Toronto. I mean, like Chris Boucher, Jakob Pertl. The 76ers, though, to me... I think at this point might just be a lost cause. I don't know if an elite head coach is going to shift the makeup of this roster because what kind of matters more is what happens with James Harden this offseason. And I felt like signing or hiring Nurse marked the end of James Harden's days in Philadelphia because if they wanted to really go all into extending Harden to this max contract that I'm pretty confident the Rockets are intending to offer him, I think they would have hired Mike D'Antoni here. That, to me, would have been the wrong decision. But at the same time, 
would keeping Harden raise this team's chances of actually making it to the third round of the playoffs? Or is it better off to hire Nurse, lose Harden, flip Tobias Harris into who knows what, and then kind of like take it from there? Where really what I'm getting at here is is Nick Nurse going to get this team to third round of the playoffs or no? Uh, that that's a great question because I think questions loom. Like you said, if James Harden ends up leaving Philadelphia, what's going to happen with Joel Embiid? Is he next? Is he going to be the one requesting a deal? Is he going to request a trade out to another place? It's possible. Now, to touch on Nick Nurse, I'll be honest with you. I, I know a lot of people praise him to be a great coach. And while he's a good one, I, I, I must say kind of overrated, though, in my eyes. Uh, for the simple fact that, yo, I, I felt like he was playing in an Eastern Conference where he was just lucky LeBron wasn't there. Mm. Uh, I think they just took advantage of that. Um, I even heard, I think it was Stephen A. Smith talking about it. I could be wrong. And, and it, it really rings true that he walked into an Eastern Conference, one with LeBron gone, and then two, Dwayne Casey had just won Coach of the Year, 150-plus games with this Raptors team. So he inherited a great squad minus DeMar DeRozan yeah. and plus Kawhi Leonard. I think you make that deal 10 times out of 10. I think he just lucked into the easiest road to the in the Eastern Conference right there. And it took uh, a big-time shot by Kawhi Leonard to also get him there. Mm. But I don't know. That's just uh, neither here nor there. Here's what I want to combat your point real quick. Nurse was a five-year assistant for the Raptors that worked closely with Fred Van Vliet, Jonas Valanciunas, and Pascal Siakam before he was assigned the head coach duties. So I feel like in that finals run, it wasn't just Kawhi Leonard, but it was the development of all the players around him, plus Ibaka and Gasol they added. And even Serge Ibaka, he goes to Toronto, and he becomes an elite three-point shooter. I think that Nick Nurse had planted the seeds as an assistant, and that was what made him a very appealing candidate in the first place back four years ago. Okay, what kind of noise has he made since? The year after Kawhi Leonard left, they go to the NBA bubble, and that season in 2020, without Kawhi, they played at a 59-win pace. That was with Pascal Siakam making an all-NBA team. He played poorly in the bubble. And even with Pascal not playing particularly well, they took the Boston Celtics to the ringer in the Game 7 of the second round of the playoffs. They could have went to the finals if they beat the Celtics that year, Ultimately, we'll never know because they got knocked out in the second round. But for Kawhi to leave and you win more games, you play at a higher win pace the following year, that to me is pretty incredible for a guy that maximized his, his roster better than any other coach in the league could have, minus maybe Spo. Maybe Spo. I, I just never view the Raptors, at least since Kawhi left, as a legit competitor there's nobody that's afraid of him and maybe that's not attributed to nick nurse maybe that's just more on the roster but i don't view the Ra raptors as anything so special so i can't go out there and say oh he's the needle mover now for the philadelphia mm. 76ers i can't because if doc Rep rivers couldn't do it who while granted his playoff uh problems doc rivers wasn't the problem in philadelphia other people right. didn't show up people didn't step up to the plate you sure. can't rely on the coach with everything so I don't think that he's the needle mover, and I think Philadelphia has a lot of questions to, to ask because if you're not keeping James Harden, now you question about Joel Embiid. What else are you going to do if Embiid stays, Harden goes? Who do you surround him with to put out a championship contender? Because guess what? Year after year, Joel Embiid is not getting any younger. He's getting older. I think he's 30 already. 
He's turning 30 next turning March. 30, Jay. So he's turning 30 for the next season. Sorry. I, I don't um, think it. So <clears throat> I think you guys are both right in certain points, right? I've been a Nick Nurse fan. Uh, I believe he's if he's not five, um, number five in the league, he's right around there. Um, I agree with John. Like Nick would have been a, a could he have done this? I, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe only Ty Lue and Spoke. Popovich uh, and obviously Spo could do what Spo is doing right now. Um, but yeah, again, Justin's right. Also, in terms of he did inherit a very good team. That sounds a little familiar to a you know Steve Kerr situation, but we still give Steve Kerr his credit and his due. Um, obviously, Nick Nurse hasn't had the sustained success that Steve Kerr has had, uh, but. Yeah, I obviously give Kawhi Leonard much more of the credit for that championship run because you guys know my feelings on Kawhi Leonard. I believe he was on pace to become the best player in the world and take the throne from LeBron before injuries derailed his career, which is very sad. But Nick, for me, you know, after Kawhi left, again, I agree with Justin. I never saw the Raptors as a real threat. Uh, they just weren't any. They weren't a threat without Kawhi. They weren't. I mean, before Kawhi, they weren't a threat after Kawhi. And we even had this conversation before the season started this year or, or last year with uh, John, and he was, you know, really high on the Raptors. And I was, and me and Justin actually together, we were telling him, "There's <laughs> no threat here, man. They're not. They're not going to be." And lo and behold, you know, they didn't they make the playoffs. Um, so yeah, I like the move for Nick Nurse going to the 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 seventy uh, sixers. I. James Harden, obviously, he's not going to be a plus. He's gone. I think he's going to go to uh, Houston, kind of spend the rest of his career in, hate to say it, but mediocrity. Um, Philly, I think the best course of action is obviously try and get rid of Tobias and get the best you can get for, get for him. I've heard, you know, there's rumors that they kind of want to make a deal with uh, to get Fred Van Vliet over. Uh, they just need to make some moves. They've got a good team. They've got a pretty deep team as well, like Melton coming off the bench and uh, those other guys that are escaping me right now. Um, uh, Milton, uh, he's lesser extent. But uh, I, their team is solid, right? I just was never a believer in James Harden. That was my main issue, and that's why I was like, well, if I'm not a biggest believer in Joel Embiid, mostly because of his health, you had James Harden, and now he's going to have to take on more of a responsibility – I mean, you can completely miss me with that, and he did completely miss me with that, and he also missed the rim a bunch of times. Um, or the net, more vividly. And the net, and, and yeah, he actually, yeah, the bottom he hit of the rim. He just couldn't hit the bottom of the net. Yeah, the bottom of the net. Um, but yeah, getting rid of Harden, I'm now more of a believer in the Philadelphia 76ers because you got rid of a guy who I believe is a consistent playoff choker for his entire career. That's not an insult. That's a fact of life. Go back and look at the numbers and look at the tape. Uh, so I am a more of a believer in the Philly Philadelphia 76ers now, but they have to make some moves obviously to enter that echelon. I still believe the bucks, even though Miami is making this incredible run right now, I don't know if it's sustainable for another year. I really don't. I would love to believe it. I would love to hope, but a lot of things did go our way, and a lot of things are hitting the right way for this Miami Heat team to get to where they are. I, I'm not going to be you know, a liar to you and say they're not. Things had to go our way a lot of the times. But I, I, Philly's gonna, Philly can easily make a couple of moves, and they can be right there. They're still a top-four team in the East going into next year, though. So 
I, I like the move. Nick Nurse is a very good head coach. It, it, it's very interesting, though, that he turned down apparently the Suns and Bucks job for this job. So I don't know what that tells you, but. I think what it tells us is that he wanted to work with Daryl Morey, who is, yeah, that's right. even if you think he has done a great job in Philly, the reality is he's done a much better job than his predecessor in Elton Brands. James Harden has a $35 million player option this offseason. Should Philadelphia, no, because it's a player option, John, would Philadelphia be better off if he walks and they replace him with a guy who's now linked them with Nick Nurse coming in, Fred Van Vliet? Oh, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, James Harden's a, a it's another thing about uh, addition by subtraction. You get rid of a guy who is a known playoff choker. You get in a guy who can, you know, who's scrapped and clawed and 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 will fight you to the bitter end. I I, I don't agree. Uh, I I don't agree. You could be I, wrong. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could add Fred Van Vliet and then add a guy that might shoot twenty percent from the field. I hey know. Okay, so uh, let's know. not forget that. James, James Harden, I think you guys simply forget, and a lot of people forget. Who forgets? What do I forget, <laughs> against, against Please, Explain to me what I have forgotten about lot, James yes, Harden. Yes, 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 yes. You could point out all the playoff problems. That's fine. But two of those wins against the Boston Celtics in that series were largely in part due to what James Harden is capable of. And I, I really think if you let that go, now granted, yes, they're not – guaranteed a spot in the third round with or without Harden, but he sure does increase your chances to get there. So if you subtract him, I don't think Philadelphia is a top four team in the East. If you take James Harden off that team, that is not the same squad that the, you're, you're losing a, a, a super playmaker. The guy, he led the league in assists. Oh, no, I'm not taking Yeah, he did turn the ball but, but, over. He does turn the ball over at an insanely rate too. Well, actually, this year, he averaged a low since 2014, 3.4 turnovers per contest. That's still a lot. Uh, that's low for his range, but that's still a lot. Um, yeah, but, that's I, but, but, but listen, Maxi would be taking over his spot, and a lot of people are high on Maxi. Obviously not as a playmaker, just taking more of a role as that second scoring option. A lot of people are high on Maxi. He is a young player. Um like I said, Tobias has got to be moved. I just don't think he, he fits anymore. Um, and then you obviously are going to replace Harden. But, yeah, I do think that they are still a top four, if you want to call it five in the East, yes, because this East is not super stacked. It is open. And there's teams that are still trying to take steps too. Like the Cavaliers are still trying to take steps. Your Knicks are still trying to take steps. You guys still have to make moves too. But, but you so, see, those are two teams that I'm already – catapulting above the Philadelphia 76 if you're taking James Harden out. And already, no Nick fan was afraid of the Philadelphia 76ers. You don't have to be afraid of nothing. You were going to lose. Well, they've been just as far as the Sixers in the playoffs with one year of Jalen Brunson. Now, here's the thing. Now, here's the People thing. may be high on Tyrese Maxey as not the lead guard. No. I hate to be well, the guy. Tyrese Maxey, Tyrese Maxey will not be a lead guard. He's in his age 22 season. Elite shooter, elite finisher. I think he's great as a secondary compliment. But every year in the playoffs, if he is as good as everybody makes him out to be, and shout out to a couple of people, a lot of really smart people out there. I've heard he's better than Cade Cunningham, which, yes, may be in Cade's rookie year, but in a year he won't be. I think Tyrese Maxey's overrated because in the playoffs, uh -huh. when the 76ers are looking for somebody to deliver, yes, 
highly efficient 20 point per game score, but in those biggest moments, he shows you he's not a reliable shot creator in isolation. And as a playmaker, he is a secondary compliment. And I think if you're Philadelphia, as Justin said very well, to lose James Harden is putting too much on Tyrese Maxey's plate, asking him to do a play a role and, and be a player that he's not equipped to be. And if you add in Fred Van Fleet, he is very redundant with Tyrese Maxey. He's a better defender, but he's also not an elite level playmaker or distributor in pick and roll. He struggles at the rim. And for mid range, he doesn't get a shot off well at six foot. He's a high volume three point shooter that is designed to be a third guard, whether in the starting lineup or off the bench. I think if you're Philadelphia, you may be able to trade Tobias Harris and you get back and return a max player. But that max player is going to be a Jordan Poole and Anthony Simons, guards who are also poor defenders and are kind of redundant with Maxi as well. I don't know next year if you can roll into the season with the backcourt of Jordan Poole and, and, and Tyrese Maxi and expect this team to be better because I think they do the same things. And neither one of those two brings what you'll lose in Harden, which is an elite level playmaker and pick and roll cog to pair alongside and beat. So, no, I, I think the 76ers next season are better off if James Harden's here on a two-plus-one contract. Oh. A four-year deal is terrible down the line because I don't think he's going to age particularly well at 37 years old. But for this upcoming season, which, hell, could be the last Joel Embiid's prime. We don't know when he's going to break down because it's honestly a miracle he's become a two-time MVP from a health standpoint. There's not many years left here in Philadelphia. And if you want to win a championship, I think your best odds, yeah, they're with the biggest playoff underperformer of the last decade on your side. Mm. Yeah, of all I, time. Hell, maybe all time. Arguably all time, yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's a trade out there where you add Maxi with Tobias Harris and get even, even better player. I, I don't know. But um, the Sixers are going to make moves, and we'll just see what, what's out there for them. I'm not a big believer in the Sixers. I'm just saying they're a top four team. Well, yeah, I'm not a big believer, and then maybe I'm be called a hater because our last episode, I, I was hard on Jalen Brown. There was a question that, that's popped up in the NBA discourse through the years. Uh, Jalen Brown, all NBA, and he made that this season. Mm -hmm. But it's fascinating to see where do people rank Jalen Brown coming off a very disappointing series and an absolutely putrid game seven. Recency bias is a strong thing in sports, so try to see how strong our recency bias is around here. So I'm going to rank to you guys. 15 players I deem uh -huh. to be not top 10, and you're going to tell me, is Jalen Brown better than them? These so, are not top 10. These are not top 10 players to me. And the first guy on my list is LeBron James. Well, I believe LeBron's a top 10, but LeBron's better than Jalen. I don't want to do this debate with LeBron, but you'll be surprised with how many guys, given LeBron's injuries, are better. Debatable, but okay. Steph, Giannis, Jokic, Luca, Kawhi, KD, Jimmy, Tatum, Tatum, LeBron. Neither's Booker. And Joel Embiid. No, I wouldn't and take. Shea, I would also take Shea. I would not. That's your smoking crack. The last one. Be honest, LeBron's. This is not LeBron hate, but LeBron's the second best player in the Lakers, and I haven't even named Anthony Davis yet. Okay. Again, LeBron to me is a legend. But right now in his age 38 season, 
We're seeing the soft landing. It's remarkable he's still a top 15 player. But in the regular season, the reason we all talk about the Lakers needing Kyrie is because LeBron is not the floor raiser. Any of those players I just named to you are. Yeah, he was before the foot injury. But now he's 39 next year by December, and he's going to be coming off a foot injury, Brandon. Mm-hmm. So he's not going to be what he was pre-foot injury, which is why I'm ready to be. Well, I mean, we we probably didn't – a lot of people probably didn't expect he was going to be what he was in his age 38 season, and, and he Sorry. was at a, playing at a historic rate, breaking Kareem's record before the foot injury, and then we all know it took a complete dip. If you want to argue injuries will derail him, I can't argue that. But if you're going to argue just skill for skill, those last four guys you named are not better than LeBron James. Jason Tatum is a more no, skilled scorer. And right. yes, he's injuries right. and age are linked together here. So, you know, it's not like it's a surprise LeBron dealing with more injuries now that he's 39. That's how it usually yeah. goes. Fair. All right, let's just continue. Okay. Good to go. So LeBron is, we believe LeBron, me and J- Justin take LeBron over Jalen Brown. Shea Gildas Alexander. I'll take Shea. No. I'll take Jalen. Oh, wow. Really? Why? Shea, not a knock on his skill set, but he has to prove he's on a winning team as well. Uh, Can he be a number one? We know Jalen's a number two. Can Shea be a number one on a winning team? That's yet to be seen. We can have faith in it. The OKC Thunder are young. I'm not saying he won't be, but he's not that yet. That's why I take Jalen right now. He's more proven of a player than, than Shea. Shea started his first two years in the league on playoff teams. In those two playoff runs, he played pretty darn well. Remember that 2019 OKC team took the Warriors in six games in the first round. The Mm -hmm. following year, in the bubble, he took James Harden to seven games in the first round. as the second-best player in that OKC team all alongside Chris Paul. That was three years ago before his breakout this year into a – yeah, but Jalen Brown's been in five Eastern Conference Finals, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, what do you say has a lot to do with circumstances, though? He's playing off of Jason Tatum. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't you say Shea Gilders' first two playoff appearances are off of circumstances as well? Sure. Okay, then. But I'll that's, still, that's I don't think it's like a that, – that, Again, that's fair. Here. You're going off of potential and what is going to happen. I'm going off of cur- currently right now. He was not on a uh, playoff team or a winning team. Okay. I think Shay. It's not a skill set thing. Again, it's not a skill set thing. I see the skill. He averaged what thirty points per game this year. I. It's not. It's simply off of yet to be seen. So he can easily move up. It's Jalen has proven he is that guy. Shay is yet to prove he is that guy on a winning team. That's it. That's all. I, okay. I think I think Shay's proven a lot at this thing. I, I get what you're saying, Brandon, but. He's also, proven a lot from where he's come from. Yeah, I mean, his they, team needs to surround him with a winning group, and, and they're getting there. And yeah, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised they'll be making some yeah, more things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in a couple of years, if he's you know on a playoff team competing in the in the Western Conference, we're gonna have a completely different uh, conversation. I'll be on the other side, no problem. He's been less durable than Jalen, so we haven't seen as much of him too. So after Shea, Damian Lillard, I take Damian. Lillard. I agree with you guys. Paul George. PG, but just ahead of him. I literally have Paul George ranked one ahead of Jalen Brown. Because I've seen Paul George be a number one on a team. Obviously, that was years ago. But And I think, honestly, if you were put – if you were asked, who would you rather want as your number two, Paul George or Jalen Brown, I think both you guys would say Paul George. Yeah, they are right. I'll take PG. Absolutely. So. Trey Young. I'll take Jalen Brown. I'll, I'll take Trey Young. I think Trey Young, while I believe Trey Young is better as a two, 
Uh, what happened? JV. Brunson? Take yeah, Brunson. No, I'm saying I'm saying Jalen Brown. Brown. You said Trey, but you meant Jalen Brown. Uh, Jalen Brown. No, I said I think Trey is better as a two. The same oh. way. Uh, Brown is is probably more suited as a two. Oh, okay. I I I yet to be seen could be the case. I would disagree with it off of not being able to see it because of his defensive liabilities, and he also turns the ball over a lot, just like Jalen Brown. Do you want to know something though? But he is playing. Here's a myth I wanted to debunk. While Trey Young is a turnover prone guard for his career average is four point one, because he's a leader of a heliocentric offense. Yeah, he's almost always in his hands. They're one of the most turnover-free teams in the league. This year, they're the third least. They only had 12 a game. So, hey, look, if Trey Young's going to post five turnovers a game and we're posting the least amount of turnovers in the in Eastern Conference, I'll take it. So that's a fun thing not a lot of people talk about. Very important. Yeah, I got Trey. I'll take Jalen. What's your – why are you taking Jalen over Trey? What is it, the defense? Me? I'm taking Jalen over Trey. Me. <laughs> um, I'm taking Jalen over Trey. But yeah, defense. Uh, they both turn the ball over, and I'm just Trey is not a good three point shooter, even though he takes a lot of them. Um, I know he's a great playmaker. He is, but I, I just like Jalen's game more than Trey Young's right now. I would take Trey, but I do agree with you. I think Trey's three point shooting. We saw it at College Oklahoma. It wasn't consistent, and it was very unpredictable. Yeah. Next name up, Don. Uh, no, Zion. Uh, Zion Williamson. Zion, healthy Zion. Okay, see, there's the there's the there's the precursor. The caveat, yeah. If you're taking me, if you're telling me Zion is healthy, Zion is arguably a top 13, 12 player because that's how dominant this mother effer is. But because he hasn't been, and he's missed more games than he's played, I have to take Jalen Brown. I'm sorry. I'm still thinking Zion knowing what he's capable of. That's respectful because he is a top 10 player when he's healthy. Mm. Close to the top 10 player. He's yeah. not top 10. Ja Morant. I'll take Ja. Ja. Ja's been a number one. I'll also take Ja. Donovan Mitchell. I'll take Jalen. Uh, I'll take Spider. Mm. Close, but I'll take Jalen. What makes you lean Brown? Defensively, he's better. Um, shooting the ball-wise, they're both inconsistent. Both aren't really great playmakers. I'll give Donovan the edge in the playmaking department. Yes. You can. It's not, like, by a lot. But, like, again, these guys are similar players, if we're going to be honest. And defense is just, you know, much, is e- easily better on Jalen Brown's case. So I'll take Jalen just slightly, though. It's not a wide margin. I do want to see – um, I don't think Jalen Brown's defense is as bright as this light on me personally. Uh, we've seen over the years, he has great moments, but he's actually played a pretty big role in their inconsistencies because he doesn't communicate. And so I would go with Donovan here. Mm-hmm. Anthony Edwards. Uh, 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 Jalen Brown. All right. So I, I know this is kind of like the, the shade thing that Brandon said. Yeah, that's basically where I'm going to go with the same exact thing. But I think – Ant-Man has MVP capabilities, so I'll take Anthony Edwards. No arguments there, but it's like you said, it's the Shea thing. I just have to see it more. Ant's going to be a top 15 player next year. Better shot creator, better shooter. I think he is going to be a better defender if he's not already. But Uh I also think Ant-Man 
has special playmaking upside because this year without Cap, he was averaging five assists. De'Aaron Fox. Just slightly, I'll take Jalen. But I believe De'Aaron can easily jump him if he has another season like he just did this year, next year. I think this has always been in De'Aaron Fox's bag. This season wasn't just a a coming out party. It's just finally the world got to see it because Sacramento was relevant. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go Fox. I have to. Fox is the best finisher in the NBA at the guard position. Uh, He shot 78% this year at the rim. He has become an elite mid-range shooter. We'll see if that sustains. I think he's he's been too undeniable. He is better than Jalen Brown to me. Jalen Brunson. JB every day in this two postseason. <laughs> They're both JB. Two, <laughs> Brunson every day, and, and there's two postseasons back-to-back years to prove it to you. I'll take uh, Jalen Brown, but just slightly. It's not uh, – yeah, I'll just take Jalen Brown just slightly, though. For the listeners out there, Brandon has a preference of durable and versatile wings. Notice that. That's why you took more – you took more De'Aaron before. Yeah, slightly. I, I Like I said, if De'Aaron does exi- what he did this year, next year, then I'll take De'Aaron Fox over Jalen. I just right. have to so say it one more time. I noticed, and I don't disagree with you, this is more of a wins-oriented league, and oftentimes we see those are the best players uh, on contenders, as we're witnessing now with the Heat. Mm-hmm. Pascal Siakam or Jalen Brown? Jalen Brown. JB. I'm going to go with Pascal. Mm. I think – his growth as a playmaker the last couple of years better enables him to be a, a complimentary player. And we've seen Jalen, he, while he played better than Tatum in the finals, Pascal was excellent in the 2019 finals, and he was the second-best player in championship team. And since then, while he's stagnated as a shooter, he's gotten better as a playmaker and ball handler. So I think he deserves more love for what he's been able to do for the Raptors. Uh-huh. Bam Adebayo for Jalen Brown. That's such a hard comparison. You know, if if Bam was more assertive on the offensive end, that's, that's probably that's it. I'd probably lean Bam, but he's not. Yeah, he's inconsistent. If he could, because he he's a better defender, he's a better playmaker, better rebounder. I'm gonna take Bam, but like respect. God, I wish that he was just a more consistent scorer. I really want to take Bam, but. Look at the results. It's okay if he's not. Okay, he's been to the finals twice now. I know, but he's just. Some would argue the reason he's not a he's not an NBA champion is because he's not a great scorer. So scoring, just if the scoring was more, I would already give it to him. I hate saying it. It's literally like poison. But Jalen Brown, his post game is poison. So, um, I didn't name Anthony Davis. That would be the sixteenth player. Um, did I name AD? You didn't. I'd take AD over Jalen Brown. I'd take AD. And you know what? I know you're not. Are you done with your list? I have a couple more names. All right. Keep, yeah, keep going. Jamar DeRozan or Jalen Brown? Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown. Really? Yeah. What makes you guys lean Jalen? He's younger, too. I feel like there's still more to his game. Yeah, DeMar hasn't been on a winning team. In a... Well, he was a year ago. I think DeMar... It's kind of Jimmy Butler, but like a a bad defender. If Jimmy was a bad defender, that would be DeRozan. He's a worse three-point shooter in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And so I'm I'm like, well, if he is the playmaker and shot creator for mid-range, I I think you can make a case here for DeRozan. You could. He just has zero playoff resume. Yeah, I'd take you. 
Besides getting axed by LeBron every time. Yes. And I want to make a point. Um, shout out to Kiki in the chat. John, you're out of pocket. LeBron's better than JT and JB. He's better than JB, but I, I'm i in the camp that LeBron's starting to age. And that's – I'm not saying LeBron's LeBron's better than Jalen Brown to me. Uh, let's, let's be clear. Uh, and I think Shea's better too. It's just – this is a right now, not a historical ranking. Even like a ranking in the last three years, it's merely – 2024, I think Shea will be better next season and seen with, with Tatum. Okay, so sure, my just... last name for you guys is Carl Anthony Towns or Jalen Brown? Jalen Brown. Take Cat. Nice. And I'll take the big. Uh, also, Jamal Murray, Jalen Brown? I take Jamal I would Murray. take Jamal. All right, and last, Jamal. last one, and this is an honest one. Julius Randle or Jalen Brown? Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown. You guys say that with no hesitation. No hesitation. Yeah. No hesitation when J- this Jaylen- guy has nothing else to his game. He cannot play make on the level of Julius Randle. And Julius Randle has proven to be a one on a Knicks team that has gone to the playoffs now twice. Okay. That was like the 24th ranked offense in the league when he was the one. Let me just say this, Justin. All NBA teams twice. Jalen Brown, 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 for his playoff shortcomings, is still – Ten times the playoff player that Jalen uh, okay. Julius Randall is. That, like, that's that fair. Large, you want to talk playoffs? No okay. margin. Are the Knicks in the position they are in today if you substituted Julius Randall with JB? Hundred percent. I think they're even better. They would be better, Justin. They're better. Why? Dude, Julius Randall was one of the weakest points of your entire playoff run. If you take Jalen Brown, he was he he was just as inconsistent as Jalen Brown. No, he was not. They got to the Eastern Conference Finals with him. They would Jalen Brown's game seven, which was putrid, would be one of Julius Randle's better playoff games. That's a fact. Eight eight assists, eight turnovers, six of twenty-three from the field. Because when Randle makes more than five field goals in a playoff game, like hey, that's pretty good. He made some shots today, even if it took him twenty-five attempts. I mean, I I don't think I don't think that that's so different. If Julius Randle, if Julius Randle was on the Celtics, they would not have beaten the Sixers. Replace those two players, they wouldn't have beat the Sixers. I don't believe that. That's a fact. I don't believe it. But anyway, I digress. Julius Randle in his playoff career shoots 34% from the field, 28% from three. We're only talking playoffs. Julius Randle is not a top 30 player. We're only talking I don't think he's top 50, but I'm very, very – He's not even top 30. He's not in the discussion. so disrespectful. I didn't say top 50. I'd rather have my team than Julius. I think you can make a case. He's top 50. I I wouldn't go that far, but he's definitely – I don't know if he's in the 30s. That's going to be – that'll be an interesting discussion. He's not top 30, though. We're at 27 right now virtually. We got to Jamal Murray, which would be 28. Brandon Ingram, 29. Kyrie. Kyrie, 31. Mikel Bridges, I'm taking seven days a week. I'm taking eight days a week over Julius Randle. Bradley Beal. John Wall moment by me. Bradley Beal. I just named Bradley, I think, before. Oh, all right. Yeah. All right. Zach don't, don't 30, make it no, a, not, a, no, a big Julius Randle. I know you have to head out in a couple minutes. I want to finish this off. Jaron Jackson, 32. Domas, 33. Zach Levine, 34. Markman, 35. B.I. Drew Holiday, 36. I think I also named him, but I might have not. No, not, not I would say I didn't. Markman, I would not take over Julius Randle. I would not I think his shooting is too complimentary. And even 
and we've only seen in the playoff run. Julius Randle's been so bad in the playoffs. Yeah. I by default take Markkinen. I love thirty-eight Draymond Green, thirty-nine Porzingis, forty Andrew Wiggins in the playoffs. That's forty-one it. Lamelo, not, not the 42. fact that he was an MVP candidate a couple of years ago. Julius Randle, a couple of years ago with the Knicks, his first All Pro season. First, I don't know if he was actually. Yes, he got an MVP vote by like one New York. And, and it's deserving. What the hell that was that was Carmelo Anthony got a NBA MVP vote. I think it was in like 2013, and he was the only one. This was 12 times worse than that. 12 times worse because the Knicks were a terrible offense, and the reason they're in the playoffs was because of their defense that Julius Randle didn't really contribute to. If you just would have brought And by the way, in that 42 names, we can continue this next week. Okay. Yeah, but I don't agree there. with those Justin, names. The yeah, Zach Levine's, the Drew Justin, Holiday's, the Marketing's. No. Justin. Oh, if you yeah. Were to, I'm taking Drew Holiday, NBA champion. Hold He's on. a two-time All-Star, hold too. Uh, He's um, a much better two-time All-Star than Drew Hold on. Randall. Hold on. Hold on. Much better. Justin, if you would have just brought up Randall's name and then just accepted the defeat after we all took Jalen Brown and didn't. You know, say anything else. I don't think we would have gone on this tangent, but you continue to just poke with Julian, and you know it's not true. He's no, man, I, we're I, giving I, you Jalen Brown. We are giving you Jalen Brown Brunson. I'm sorry. We are giving you Jalen Brunson. Oh, we yeah. all agree Jalen Brunson is a bona fide stud. Okay. Julius Randle is not. You have to let go. You for the betterment of your life and your mind, you have to let go of him and accept Jalen Brunson as your guy now. Let go of Julius. I it's have okay. It's Justin. Justin. Doesn't sound like it. It's not. I'm just saying, but I still, just because I believe Julius Randle is better than Jalen Brown. Justin, Justin, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Just let go. Okay. Like, like they said in Frozen, let it go. Let it go. I don't know what you're talking about. Julius Randle is my 55th ranked player in the NBA, but that is always due to change because he's in the fourth tier stars for me. Which, in other words, the high-level role players, dear. But, Justin, it is 10.52 on this fine day, uh, Thursday morning. I want to thank you. If you got any more time, I don't think you do, but appreciate you jumping on. Yeah, and I actually want to leave now after that. <laughs> All of that. I'll see you guys. Stay classy, y'all. Take a light. I can't wait for next year when they release, you know, the, the top 100 NBA players in the league. I guarantee you Julius Randle is in the top 40. Well, this year, the Rainer had him at like 79 when they did theirs in November, and everyone threw a hessy fit. I'm like, you know, it's not too far off, but I do think he's a little bit low. Bye-bye, Justin. Yeah, when does the NBA final start? Is that tonight, right? Tonight. Tonight. Tonight's a big night. All right, I'll be tuned in. Here we go. Take a light. Who takes game one, Justin? Who takes game one? Nuggets blowout. Oh, I actually think that he might take Exit stage left. Exit stage left, Justin. I'll give you Nuggets by 18. Wow. Walk it yeah. Walk it. Walk it. See you later. Call, yeah. call, me, call me when they call me when it comes true. No, I'll go to sleep. All right. <laughs> All right, y'all. Peace. Uh, Thank you. Man, Justin hit us with the Nuggets dominating uh, five series. Wow. He hit us with Julius Randle top 35, top 30. Oh. The, the only thing that can get crazier in this episode, Brennan, is if we decide to go completely batshit. And rank every single NFC quarterback. Uh, would you like to do that, or would you like to save your sanity? Let's do it. I don't. I got no sanity to save. Okay, so we're going to do a little <laughs> bit more impromptu because I don't have the list currently in front of me. I got my list. You have your list. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're going to take the segment then. All right. Let's do it. So, might be a disagreement, but I don't think so because we did say 
you did agree that when healthy, you would take him top. So my top is Matthew Stafford at number one. I would take Jalen Hurts. You could. You would take Jalen? Hurts is a higher floor raiser to me at this point. I don't think with his rushing ability, but now he's a high level top 10 Mm -hmm. top, maybe right outside the top 10, but he's on that tier. I think he's too versatile and you can make a case. He's a top seven quarterback in the league with Stafford at his peak. I think he's like, he's a little bit below him. So I'll go hurts, especially given the injury concerns. That's a disagreement we have. I believe when Stafford has a peak, he was a top five quarterback, but all right, me for Stafford, you go Jalen. My number two is Dak Prescott. Mm, over probably, yeah, over her church is my number three. What's your reasoning behind that? Hurts, I need to see it again. He's already went further than Dak ever has in the playoffs. He's been surrounded by he was surrounded by a much better team than Dak has ever had. Yes, in terms of the weapons, but Dak's offense line was at the same exact year. I think it's the, the line fine. Yeah, the line fine, but weapons were a major part and defense. His deep the Eagles defense was much more consistently built throughout. While you had Micah, who was the best defender on the uh, both sides of the defense. Right, best player. We we know that the Eagles had a more consistently built defense, in my opinion. And sure. Nick Sirianni is a better head coach than Mike McCarthy. I don't want to overlook the fact Dak last year in 2021 had Amari Cooper, CeeDee mm-hmm. Lamb, Dalton Schultz, Tony Pollard, and yeah. Ezekiel Elliott. With a good Zeke, offensive line, too. Zeke, but we know Zeke has fallen off. Well, uh, yeah, this was, I'm saying, a year ago he before. Still, was, but he st- Zeke hasn't been the same in like three or four years, man. Zeke is, is yes. even if he did have a thousand yards, it didn't look the same. You, we Come on, we all know we were looking at D- Zeke and being like, Anywhere. It, it's it's done for. But neither here nor there. So I guess, honestly, those are the top three, in my opinion. Either way you want to put them, Jalen, Stafford, Dak, I think that's the top three. Except for maybe your guy, your guy, uh, Kirk. No, Kirk's not in my top three, but so your top three, it's not, I think the names are all right, but I think Kyler Murray is a better quarterback than Dak Prescott and he's getting really overhated. And I don't know why everyone hates Kyler Murray. Is it because he's short? Is it because of the leadership concerns? And if it is sure, but when you look at Dak Prescott's playoff resume, I'm like, well, it's not glowing so much to where I'd rather have him. If I'm building a team right now, contracts aside, I would rather Kyler Murray under center because I think he's the more explosive player. I think he's more dynamic passer down the fields where Mm -hmm. Dak is more of an intermediate guy. And he's not that deep level shot maker Kyler shown to be through four years. I I disagree with that wholeheartedly. And I think if to just slide leadership under the rug is a major concern for me. If, if you do that, that's why I would not do that. And that's a main reason why I would not take Kyler. Kyler right now is uh, number six for me. Mm, but he's also, when you're comparing him to Dak, a turnover free quarterback before his injury this year, we saw that too. Also, and I feel like if you're going to use Dak's poor coaching as a reason for him being higher than hurts, well, Kyler Murray overcame Cliff Kingsbury as his coach who didn't have an offense designed around Kyler's biggest strengths necessarily. Mm-hmm. And you got to keep in mind too, the Cardinals have not drafted well in recent years. And a year ago in 2021, they still started off undefeated. They had the best record in the NFL, end up with 11 wins. They may have lost the Rams, but that team went on to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't bring up coaching when I'm talking Dak and Kyler because I think I can just keep it between the two players. I bring it up with Jalen because it's a, it's a much bigger gap in my opinion, but – for me, it's just the leadership of Kyler. You bring up turnover-free. 
I guess. Um, but Kyler breaks down. We've seen it consistently in the NFL towards the end of the season. He breaks down and he, he doesn't perform as well as he was in the beginning of the seasons. Uh, I just, yeah, I, I, I'm not a big believer in Kyler. I, I see the talent. I understand the talent. The talent is there, yeah. but it's, you also have to put it all together. And I don't think he's put it all together very well. And I think his leadership skills do lack very much, especially compared to Dak, who I think is, a very good leader, in my opinion. Right, but Dak still had some injuries too, man. We saw that this last year. Yeah, 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 100% he's dealt with some injuries, but I think he's he's still been more successful either way. You might say his playoff resume is not good. He's had – I have to go back and look at it, but I'm pretty sure he's had more good games than he's had bad games in his playoffs, if not just, to, just as even. Kyler's been there wow. once. I also think Kyler doesn't get enough credit, maybe because Joe Burrow has wiped him out as back-to-back first-round picks. Kyler is one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league, too. And that's Dak's biggest strength as a pocket passer, like uh-huh. his ability to be surgical from pocket. Kyler Murray, too, while he's not more, he's less of a pocket passer, much less than Dak. Uh-huh. I think the reason I think Kyler's a better player is because of his ability to improvise and extend. Whereas Prescott is best within the pocket. And I, I think there's a limitation to that if you're not Brady or Burrow. Like those guys are just different levels of processors where they're they're so quick and they're so decisive and they have that X factor that I think Dak lacks. He's a better leader, but I think Dak tenses up in the biggest moments and he he starts to the word is uh, press. He starts yeah. to press up and then you see the, the mistakes. Whereas with those elite pocket passers that mm-hmm. are Burrow and Brady, you don't see that. I would bring to you. Well, first off, you're comparing him against Burrow and Brady. That's very kind of you. But I would bring to you that Kyler hasn't been in those moments, and so you haven't seen how he performs in those moments. So you we don't will. know if he – yeah. We, we, will, we hope we will see. The Cardinals have to get it together, and he has to get healthy. But we haven't seen him yet in those moments. So we don't know if he's going to tense up like Dak did, like Dak did or he's going to ball out. Like Because mm-hmm. Dak did, even in his rookie year, performed at a very high level. He's had some down years since, but he, he still had some good, great games in the playoffs. But I take, yeah, yeah, I take Dak. Um, so for me, number four is Derek Carr. I think, honestly, four, four, five, and six, which is Carr. Honestly, four to seven for me is kind of like mix and match right now. Carr, Cousins, Murray, and Goff are kind of like in that tier for me, to be honest with you. Similar mm. tier. That's my four to seven. Carr, Cousins, Murray, Golf. I'm just knowing this all down. Would you be able to go through your one through sevens? I can put this in my notes too. Yeah. Stafford, Prescott, Hertz, Carr, Cousins, Murray, Golf. Murray, and then Golf at seven. Okay. Yeah. So I think if we're doing this a year ago, Derek Carr coming off that Raiders season would have been the best. I feel like Kirk Cousins, his accuracy and his, uh-huh. the decision-making department for Derek Carr is also very inconsistent. Yeah, they're both yes. I think Kirk though might be a better decision maker. I think he, in terms of the turnovers, the issue that I've had with Derek Carr, especially over the last year is boys, well, not the most accurate. Uh-huh. He's not the most athletic. He can press up in those big moments. I think to the Steelers game on Christmas Eve where he had three picks and like 120 yards, we gave Derek Carr Devontae Adams. And while Devontae had a great season, the Raiders offense had Josh Jacobs break out, and they're still struggling to put points on the board because he wasn't that decisive. He struggled in the red zone, and he was really inconsistent. 
So I think coming off of not just last year, but the last four or five years, I would have to have Kirk Cousins and definitely Kyler. Kyler would be like a tier above uh, Derek Carr. I would also have Kirk and Jared Goff ahead of Derek Carr. That's fair. And when we get to number seven, maybe this is a blazing hot take, but I am so high on Geno Smith, I would have him above Derek Carr. Not because of the resume, but because I think Geno Smith is more capable than Carr. He's a better athlete. He's got a better arm. He's more accurate down the field. And the only reason you wouldn't have Geno Smith above Derek Carr was because he was a backup for six years for three different teams. But we saw him in 2021 step up when Russell Wilson missed three games against pretty tough defenses. He came into Heinz Field and he put them in position to beat that Steelers defense that was one of the better units in the league. I think Geno Smith has shown us for a year and a half now. No, I'm a top 15, top 12 quarterback. It's only a matter of time until you guys understand that. And hell, if people continue to disrespect him, I think he's going to force them to respect him. Geno, for me, would be number seven right after Jared Goff. Yeah, it's fair. You're four through seven. Like I said, they're, they're kind of mixing match. The only reason why I put Carr ahead of those guys is leadership. I've heard a lot of his teammates um, just speak about his character and his leadership uh, skills. Like he, they, they, they really wanted to follow him into battle. So that's why I bring it the, the talent wise thing. Yeah. He's got his struggles just like all those other guys do with the decision-making and, and whatnot. But yeah, that's the reason why I put him up there. Um, in terms of Gino, I have Gino ninth. Uh, I feel like you might be able to guess who I have at the eighth spot. It's he's kind of my guy, um, you know, taking over a new role. Uh, Baker Mayfield is my eighth quarterback in the NFC. You see the video? Don't worry about the video. All right, listen. Act like NFL quarterbacks haven't missed open throws before. All right, sure. like he missed it's, a throw. It's just a little bit comical after the last two years he's had. He had some freaking great moments, though, and, and when he was on the Rams, dude. He had some great comebacks that were historically great. That's all I'm saying. I don't – like yes. I said, I wasn't a big fan of the move to go to the Bucks. I really wish he would have went to Washington or uh, some other teams that uh, – Miami was my number one spot. I wasn't a big fan of it, but I'm getting behind Baker because I still do believe in Baker. Uh and yeah, I think him and Mike Evans can get some chemistry down. I think Chris Godwin coming off a, a year off his injury is going to be better this year than he was last year. Uh, obviously, the O-line has its struggles. They got rid of Donovan Smith, who was insanely bad last year at left tackle. They still got Tristan Wirfs. Um, I think that, you know, listen, they're saying like, oh, there's a quarterback competition. I swear to God, Todd Bowles, if you actually have a competition with Kyle Trask, and Baker Mayfield, you deserve to be fired. You deserve well, to be fired. No, you deserve think, to be fired. That is think, disrespectful. Yes. I think he has a better chance of keeping the job if he starts Trask because now he has an excuse. He's developing a young quarterback. Nah, and you have, to, you have to wait. Soon it's going to come. Um, whereas if Baker him. struggles, it's all going to be – the house is going to completely collapse on Todd Bull's head. Maybe Bruce Arians saves his job because I know Bruce loves Todd Bowles and he's still in the front office. Um, but yeah, I'd have Baker eight, Geno ninth, tenth. I have Brock Purdy. Okay, so I'm just processing this. You don't like Brock? Not a big Brock guy. You were a big Brock guy. Come, you know, when he was balling, you compared him to Tom Brady. Disrespect. I. 
have Bryce Young right after Geno Smith for me. Uh, I'm just currently listing the quarterbacks. Like I said before, dude, I'm sure you not. give me your one through 16. And then while you're doing that, I'm going to kind of put together my eight through 12. If it, you know what? I'm shot though. I did it again. I put CJ Stroud in Bryce. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, did it like I thought he was a Panthers quarterback. I'm so shocked. That video of him speaking to Josh McCown really just it really did just set me into a different motion. I feel like I'm living in an alternative reality right now. Where CJ Stroud is taking number one. Now. The guy. All right. Uh, I fixed it. All right. So one Matthew Stafford, two Dak Prescott, three Jalen Hurts, four Derek Carr. Five Kirk Cousins, six Kyler Murray, seven Jared Goff, eight Baker Mayfield, nine Geno Smith, uh, eleven. Uh, sorry, ten Brock Purdy, ten Daniel Jones. Shout out, J- eleven uh, J- Daniel Jones. Yeah, uh, twelve Justin Fields, thirteen Jordan Love, fourteen Desmond Ritter, fifteen Bryce Pet. Uh, um, um, uh, Young. I wrote Bryce Petty again. Jeez, I can't. I can't win with this. You get there. Can't win. Um, close and, and sixteen, Sam Howell. Okay. Um, I see what you're doing. Where you kind of, since we haven't seen Sam Howell as of one and a half games. Yes. And Bryce Young yet? No, we haven't seen. Yes. Default. I also think Bryce Young this year is going to have one of the best rookie seasons we've seen from a quarterback. If he does, then he'll jump some guys. Yeah. Yes, and so that's why for me on my list. You do more p- off of potential and projection that you're believing this is going to happen. I go off of I need to see it, and then I will uh, change my list. Hell yeah, I'm a walking projector, man. Um, my my vantage point is the Panthers going to stand up to succeed with the coaching, the running game, and the offensive line. And I'm also pretty confident they're signing D-Hop, which is okay. it's pending. But here's my last thought. I think Bryce Young, while people are skeptical of him, it is merely because of his height. His processing ability out of structure, his accuracy is surgical. He's got the arm talent at 195 pounds. Much like Kyler Murray, I think we really discredit his skill set and we can only look at the height. But at Alabama, that didn't stop him. And the most important thing to take away is that Bryce Young to me wasn't a regular Alabama quarterback. After Jamison Williams and John Meachie were drafted, they did not have NFL talent receiver this last year. And he was still at the top of the Heisman race. And it wasn't, it was really only due to the injuries. Um, that he didn't have that more emphatic ending, I think, to his college career. But no, he has an X factor, and I think that separates him from the likes of Derek Carr. And so, when I'm really taking a deeper dive into this, I would have him right after Gino, but I think he can, within his rookie year, surpass Smith. What I would bring to you is is it fair? It's you agree it's fair, though, to have those rightful concerns about his size and height, right? Like that's a fair uh, concern to have, not a critique, a concern to have in his go- ability going forward. Like, from a skill set perspective, no, not skill. No, I'm not bringing up skill. I'm talking size and height. You would say that that is a fair concern to have from a durability perspective. Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's you're a Baker fan. Baker's probably got 15 pounds in him, roughly. I think with Baker, that's led to injuries, but that doesn't stop people that are Baker believers because of his skill set. Only one injury injury. kept him out for a well, didn't even keep him out. He played through it, but should have kept him out, which was the 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 separated shoulder and the torn labrum, and that happened off ribs and well, that happened off of him 
throwing an interception, tracking down the guy and tackling him like that. That was, you know, obviously not what a quarterback's supposed to do, but Baker's right. you know, built different in the, in the head. So he's going to go do it. But what I, I, I'm just bringing to you that in, yes, in terms of durability, his size, his height is a concern for people. And I, I do have a concern. You bring up Baker. Baker is much bigger than, than Bryce Young. Did you see the picture of Bryce Young with uh, behind his offensive line? Yeah, he's 5'11", 190 pounds. I, I don't even know if he's 5'11". I got to be honest with you. Yeah, maybe he's 5'10". Baker is six foot, maybe 6'1", six six, maybe six with cleats on, 215 pounds. So he's got 20 pounds and an inch and a half on Bryce. I would say Baker's probably a little bit thicker than that, maybe 220. Yeah, he probably is. He look, Yeah, he looks like he puts on. like. But I, I, that's what I'm saying. I just think the size – and the height is a fair concern for Bryce Young. That's my only concern. I be, Listen, the talent could be there. I need to see it on the NFL field, obviously, because college is a completely different game. And I think you can also agree that while it wasn't a concern his size and height in college, these are grown men you're playing against. Like That's different. I feel like that you can agree with as well, is that's a fair concern to have. Along with the size and height, you're going up against grown men who are much better than your college uh, people playing in college and much bigger, stronger, faster, aggressive playing for money because they have to put provide food and stuff on their family's plate. It's just a different game entirety. So you have the belief and I agree with you, but it's fair concern on the size and height for Bryce Young. Here's a fun fact. I like fun facts. In Drew Brees' first 13 years with the New Orleans Saints from 2006 to 2018, See. he played 16 games mm-hmm. in all but two seasons. No, I'm wrong. He played he played 16 games in all but three seasons. 2015, 2009, and I'm sorry. His football reference page is littered with so many 16-game seasons, it's clouding my perception. Yeah, yeah in only two fun. years. Oh, and then 2018, he played in 15 games. So in his first 13 years, with the Saints, only missed three games. And he was a oh, six first quarterback. Okay, so you're, you're, you're I, I, I look at Bryce Young, and I have hope he can stay healthy because mm-hmm. however Drew Brees did it with his training, he showed it's possible for a six-foot quarterback to stay healthy and have a long NFL career. He's like, not, that's the prime example. He, it is, but he's not six-foot. He's also smaller than Drew Brees. Drew Brees was maybe six-foot? Drew Brees was six feet tall, in my opinion. Okay. And I just would listen. And Drew Brees had a – Listen, I, I agree with you. He did get injured early in his career in San Diego. That's what got him erased from San Diego is, yeah. is that terrible injury he had. And he was able to sit. Drew Brees is an okay comparison, but like Drew Brees is the most accurate quarterback ever to live. Stats don't lie. So coaching helps with that. Sean Payton. 100% coach helps with that. I don't think Frank Reich and Sean Payton. I, oh, yeah, I agree. And he 100%. also had a much better offense, proven guy. Like, I don't know these guys by name, the uh, the 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 Panthers' offensive line. But there were – I mean, uh, uh, um, Carl Nix. Carl Nix, Teron Umstead, obviously, towards the end. Um, Saints had uh, a lot Jarhe, of good offense. Jarhe Evans. The Saints were able to draft – they were able to draft all pro players at the offensive line for a long time. But the Panthers are drafting offensive linemen, too. Ekamakwanu last year of NC State. And then you've got Taylor Moten, who's one of the best right tackles in the league. You've got Brady Christensen at left guard, Bradley Bozeman at center. 
and Austin Corbett at right guard. You got young guy. You got you know, some young guys, but they, and that's what I'm saying. Those the Saints guys are more established, and I remember their names off the top of my head. But like the Panthers guy, it's got to you know, and sustainable too. Like once those early guys, Evans and and uh, and Nick's retired, and I'm missing left tackle and other guys that they had. Ben Grubbs, I think they. Oh, no, no, that was that was the Ravens. He might have played on the Saints too, though. Um, but they were able to replace with like Teron Armstead and and other guys like that. So it's it is also consistency. But let, let's again, but. What about your – so did you work on your 10 through 16 or 11 through 16? Yeah. So, so far my top 10, number one, Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Number two, Kyler Murray. Number And this is pre-ACL injury, so that's why I'm like, you know, Matthew Stafford's right behind him at three. They both got injury concerns, but we, we've seen guys come off the ACL. Four, Dak Prescott. Five, Jared Goff. Six. Oh, wait, no, I think I ranked the other day, Kirk above Dak. But just know, four through six, they're like the same exact quarterback. They just are a little bit different on different teams. Four, Prescott. Five, Jared Goff. Six, Kirk Cousins. They'll flip often. Seven, Geno Smith in that same tier. Eight, Bryce Young. Nine, Justin Fields. I'm expecting a breakout season from him as a, as a quarterback with, with his accuracy. And then number 10, I have Daniel Jones. Well, your boy Jordan loved and crack it. Oh, he's or right Brock, outside of it, man. Or Brock Purdy. So, admittedly, I don't have Brock Purdy on here. I'd see him Darnold. But if we're going to include Brock, he would be um, right behind Daniel Jones at 11. Where do you have Sam Darnold? Well, I, I would have Sam Darnold second to last. So. Who's the last? Desmond Ritter. Okay. I think That's number... Fair. 11 would be Jordan Love for me. Mm-hmm. No, sorry. I just said Brock Purdy's 11. So 11 for me would be Brock Purdy. 12 would be Jordan Love. Mm-hmm. 13 would be... Um, Baker? Baker versus Hal. What a... what a Baker okay. at 13. Okay. Won't be disrespectful. 14. Uh, my options are Sam Howell. Desmond Ritter and you picked Don- well. Donald's injured, so so Sam Howell or Desmond Ritter or who, are you forgetting? Um, who the hell are you forgetting? You missed somebody. Oh yeah, I'm at 15. I'm looking at my list. Who'd you- Did you miss Jordan Love? Oh yeah, no. I had him at 12. I don't know what you did, John. I'm lost. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't know who you missed. I'm looking at my list. Cause you ranked Bryce Young really high. It's someone that's missing in my top ten. Yeah, maybe you just missed a name or didn't put a number there. Whatever. But yeah, so then Riz, 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 so Hal and Ritter are just basically your last two. And Correct. Hal will be uh, fifteen and Ritter will be sixteen. I okay. was a fan of Hal. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, there's a lot of quarterbacks towards um. Like twelve or twelve to sixteen stuff that are, you know, for me personally, the unproven guys, the guys who still have a lot to prove and and I need to see. So, yeah, and like I said, I'm a major Baker fan. That's why I got him at eight. I'm a believer in Baker. I think he can perform very well. Honestly, if if he came down to it, I really would have him at four. But he, I'm being objective, and he hasn't played well, so I'm being objective. Okay, um, but yeah. 
So you've talked about on the show, your believer in Baker's intangible. In terms of his skill set, what would you have that that puts him above a, a Kirk Cousins? Because these are some guys that have consistently just been some of the most accurate and some of the most consistent throwers of the football in the uh, NFC for years now. What would it be for Baker from a skill set? Yeah. Um, skill set. I guess the dog in him is, is more intangibles too. Um, <laughs> um, I do think Baker is a very accurate quarterback. Uh, I think some things have, you know, obviously not gone in his favor towards his, it's been a very rocky road. I can't, you know, uh, injuries to him and injuries to his players, um, especially key players like an Odell Beckham jr. When he was supposed to be a major fit, Jarvis Landry was injury riddled. Um, I really like Baker's uh, outside of the pocket work. Um, he's got a great arm in terms of arm strength. Yeah. Cause I think that's his best characteristic. People always say it's his accuracy. I'm like, he's a 61%. That's his completion percentage for his career. I think it's the arm talent. And especially for guys six feet tall, that to me is like the only high level trait he has from a, a skill level. Yeah, from a tangible level, something that you can actually uh, uh, critique and look at. Um, yeah, listen, yeah, it's been a struggle. So, but yeah, intangibly, you, you, I, I do. It, it is what I believe in most that he's got that dog in him, uh, that he is a player that you don't count out, and I just think there's something inside of him that that would I would want more on my team than say a Kyler, a Kirk, or even a Derek Carr. Mm. Oh, so the name I was mentioning before was Derek Carr. Okay. So that's why I was having a hard time. Do you want to just now give a run through 16s real quick? You can that off. I'll run it. Uh, so top 10, top, top 10, top 16 are ranking all 16 quarterbacks in the NFC. Starting from one, Matthew Stafford, Dak Prescott, two, Jalen Hurts, three, Derek Carr, four, Kirk Cousins, five, Kyler Murray, six, Jared Goff, seven, Baker Mayfield, eight, nine, Geno Smith, 10, Brock Purdy, 11, Daniel Jones, 12, Justin Fields, 13, Jordan Love, 14, Desmond Ritter, 15, Bryce Young. I finally got it right. And 16, Sam Howell, Washington Commanders quarterback, who I don't think he'll be the quarterback for very long. Number one for me, Jalen Hurts. Number two, Kyler Murray. I'm higher than the BC, admittedly. Number three, Matthew Stafford, number four, Dak Prescott, number five, Jared Goff, number six, Kirk Cousins, number seven, Geno Smith, number eight, Derek Carr, number nine, Bryce Young, number 10, Justin Fields, number 11, Daniel Jones, number 12, Brock Purdy, number 13, Jordan Love, number 14, Baker Mayfield, number 15, Sam Howell, number 16, Desmond Ritter. And that wrap up episode 108 of the Wise Guys podcast. Thank you guys for watching and to the very end. If you enjoyed, be sure to drop that like. With all that being said, till next time. Go Heat!